We are continuing in uh, Hebrews. We find ourselves here in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, the, the theme has continually been uh, Jesus is better. And, and here we find this uh, a little bit of a almost a, kind of a, a break from talking about Jesus and comparing him to something in particular. But what we do find actually is the rest that comes in Jesus is better than any other rest offered. The rest that comes in Jesus is offered is better than any other rest that is offered, including that which was offered in the Old Testament uh, and including uh, that that God has offered in the past or any way that we might pursue rest. Jesus's rest is is better. And um, we we could have actually read here chapter 14, which we'll get more into next week. uh, But I'm going to read it real quick. Uh, Wraps up this passage a little bit. Uh, Some. Theologians say that this is kind of the linchpin here. Uh, Obviously, we're not saying that exactly, but here, verse 14, Since then we have such a great high priest, that is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. That This rest is all rooted in him. So Jesus' rest is better. And as we think about this idea of rest, we we could take time to, to think about what are the ways in which we feel like we need rest? And there might be many. What would you like rest from? I mean, maybe it's just that you would like to be able to sleep through the night. Uh, You would like rest in that way. And that could come for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes because of kids. Uh, Sometimes uh, you're thinking about things that are stressful in life and you can't sleep. And so you would just like rest in in that way. Uh, Maybe you would like rest from your job from the work that you do. You would love to take a break from that. Maybe you would like rest from, from dealing with a difficult situation, uh, whether that be a situation at work, a financial situation, uh, a relationship that you uh, are struggling with, and you would just like to take a break from it. I mean, we could go on and on and on and think about all the ways in which we would love to have a break, a, a rest, right? Um, and, and, and the reality is, if, if we addressed any one of those, we would have 10 other things that we could use a rest from, right? And, and, and we could use a rest from ourselves. We talked this morning uh, in Sunday school, which I encourage you to come to. It's been really awesome about the fact that just our thinking and the things that we have to think about is, is stressful. We don't always think right. So that we change our minds later, or we hear another side of an argument, and we think, oh, wait, yeah, that, maybe I should have thought about it that way. I was missing this aspect of that issue. Our, our own thinking gets us wrapped up that we could just use a rest from it, right? I mentioned already the fact that we sometimes have trouble sleeping through the night, and sometimes it's because we're thinking about things, and we feel like we're missing things or forgetting things. Oh, there are all kinds of things that we could name in our lives that we would love to have a break from. And so then the question I think that we should be asking is, what are ways that we actually seek to get rest from those things? There there might be different ways in which we we do that. Maybe it's we come home from a hard day at work and we're, okay, I'm gonna gonna watch this TV show or this movie. Uh, I'm gonna have a drink. I'm um, I'm gonna try to spend time with a friend. I am uh, going to take a nap. Uh, I'm going to just pull out my phone and get on, uh, you, know, you know, a game or social media or news. There are all kinds of ways, right? Uh, and oftentimes, stress drives us to uh, our, our phones, our devices, uh, and we're just going to do something to distract us. We pick any number of things. Often, rest is, is really just 
What are we going to pick to distract us from the things that are going on? And, and some of those things actually aren't, aren't bad things. I mean, there are pictures of rest and there are helpful ways to engage in taking breaks in life. So I'm not, I'm not saying all of those things that I mentioned are bad ways to experience rest in this life. But what we find in this passage is a picture of ultimate rest. Eternal rest. That is a rest that never ends and it is perfect. And this is what is promised in the good news. We see good news mentioned in both verse 2 and verse 6. The gospel, what is on offer from the Lord is a promise of ultimate, final, perfect, eternal rest. And that it has, we find here, it has implications for us now. These promises are, uh, are be, we're not even going to be able to just e- even get at the tip of the iceberg about what the promise of this rest is. And yet I think even as we look in these verses, we'll find hope in the promises of God. We'll, we'll look at the, the fact that there is beauty in the rest, that the rest is available. So the beauty of rest, the availability of rest, and then the implications of rest. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with the hope of the rest that you offer, and that it would change our lives. These are, uh, that is a big prayer, and you are able to do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The beauty of rest. So if you've been here the last two weeks, we have seen chapter three with this quotation, with a lot of quotation from Psalm chapter 95, verses seven through 11. And we find it again quoted here, this idea of, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then verse five, they shall not enter my rest. It's, this, it's remembering this story that they, the hearers of Hebrews, the, the original readers of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who they were, except that they were uh, Jewish Christians. And we don't know exactly who the author is, but as he's writing this, he's, he's speaking to a group who knew very well the story that occurs in Numbers chapter 12 through 14. We have the people of Israel in the wilderness. They're in Kadesh Barnea at this time. And they have been miraculously freed from slavery. So the Lord has delivered them through amazing events, through uh, the plagues, through uh, separating the Red Sea, parting the sea so they could go through. I mean, he has provided food for them in the wilderness. He has, he has worked for them. And they've seen things that we can't even imagine. And, uh, and they find themselves on the way to the promised land that the Lord had promised Uh, years before, that they would have the promised land, that they would be blessed in it in order to be a blessing to the nations. And this is, they're they're right there in Numbers chapter 12 through 14. And they send spies into the land. And the spies come back, and it's like 10 of them say, we can't do it. We can't do it. There are giants in the land. There are too many people. We we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. We can trust God here. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. There's all that we need there. It is the promise of God that we should step into. And yet what happens is the people of God, they go with those 10 and they don't believe in God and his promises. And the result is they shall not enter my rest. They miss out on what God had promised for them because they didn't believe him. And yes, it it seemed difficult. And so that picture is in their mind. This is a, a significant story in the people of God. So as they're hearing this, they're hearing a warning. There is still a rest on offer. 
there's still something that is promised to the people of God. So that there was the warning again in Psalm 95. They were in the promised land at that point. David was king, and yet there was still a rest yet to come. So that that rest that they experienced in the promised land was just, they didn't actually experience it fully because they weren't fully obedient to God. And, And yet still, there was a promise of something yet to come. It was a shadow of what was yet to come. There was a better rest yet to come. And so that promise was uh, on the table for those with David in the promised land in Psalm 95, but it's also on the table for the Hebrews and it's on the table for us. There's a promise of a rest yet to come. And this rest is is really, uh, it is all that we could hope for and more. And one of the beautiful things that we've been doing in our Sunday school class is talking about uh, this rest, and it's not always described as rest. It can be described as heaven, or the new heavens and the new earth. It can be talked about as eternal life, perfection, shalom, that ultimate peace where all things are made right. And, and we deeply desire this. We, we, we look for it as we think about utopia, or we think about it as we want to make things right through engagement in our, our world, in local or state or national politics. We want to make things better, right? We, we think that uh, sometimes we think that we can get there. We think that, uh, or many think that technology is going to fix the things that are broken in this world, right? So we, we want things to be better. We long for it, and we're not experiencing that. C.S. Lewis says uh, in Mere Christianity, he, he talks about this desire that we have and what it points to. And he, he refers to the rest. He's, he doesn't use the term rest, but he talks about it as another world. That is, again, new heavens, new earth, all things made right, And this is what he says. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If there is a desire for that rest, that ultimate, that final rest, that rest from all of the brokenness and mess that we experience, C.S. Lewis is arguing, and I think rightly, along with the Bible, that we were actually made for that, that it exists and what we find here is that it exists in Jesus and his promises and the good news that he offers. What, what does that rest look like? What, why would we call it beautiful? How do we think about that rest? It's described four times as either God's rest or him speaking saying, my rest. In verse 3, 4, 5, and 10, we find the reference to either God's rest or my rest as, as God is speaking. So it's, it's not just rest for me personally in the way that I would define it. And that's where we're tempted to go when we think about rest. This is what rest would look like for me. And there are times in our lives it's appropriate to say, okay, I need to pursue what is restful for me. We're, we're made with our differences. And so in our normal lives of experience rest that only points to the future, we do have individual ways in which we rest. And yet the promise here is for something even better than anything I could imagine for myself. It is God's rest. And it is compared to the rest that is described in Genesis 2, chapter 2. Look at verse 4. 
For he has somewhere spoken, Genesis 2, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2, for somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. What, what is God doing when he rests from all? What, what's happening there? What's going on in Genesis 2, 2? God has created the world. And with a word, he has created the world. And at every point, he has said it is good. And, and even when he creates man in his own image, uh, he says it is very good. So he has created the world, and all things are as they should be. It is perfect. It is, uh, there is a shalom, a peace. There is a, an experience of relationship with him, walking, Adam and Eve, walking in the garden with the Lord. And, and God at that point rests from his work. That doesn't mean, there's a picture actually of, of him resting. It's not just that he, it, it's not a picture of him napping. Okay, he's, he's done and he's not paying attention anymore. No, it's, he's, he is experiencing creation as it is supposed to be. And in a sense in which he is still in that, that rest, he is perfect in all that he is. And we're invited into that. And it's not that he's not still engaged in the world, in in sustaining the world, that's the picture that we see of God. And, and yet, what we see is this invitation to be invited into his rest, which is essentially experiencing perfection. However, we might think utopia exists, it's not going to exist this side of Jesus' resurrection and, and work in this world, his return to make all things right. And it's better than any utopia that we could imagine, but that's what is on on the table here for us. This perfection, this is what we get, is the rest of the rest that God experiences we are invited into. What, what might that look like? A, a few different, different theologians, including our very own Dan Barber, who wrote with uh, one of our seminary professors, uh, Robert Peterson, a book called Life Everlasting, uh, talk about the fact that we get rest in three different ways. We rest from our work, we rest from war and we rest from our wandering. We rest from our work. Our work now after the fall is tainted. It's, it's spoiled. It comes with toil and sweat. Things are never as easy as they should be. They're never as easy as they should be. Or as they, they're never for me as easy as I think they're going to be, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I decided I was going to uh, install, a, install a dash cam in my car. Uh, and I got this little attachment that, yeah, anyway, uh, that's what I did. <laughs> Uh, I can run a wire uh, to the fuse box to power it from that so that there's not some wire hanging uh, and taking up one of my, uh, you know, power spots. And so I thought, I watched the video. It's going to be super easy, right? It'll take an hour or less. And it, it took about half a day for a number of different reasons. I don't really know how to, I don't know anything about electricity and how, how to use a multimeter. And the videos that are watching are all showing a different one. And then I can't find a layout. Uh, uh, it does not exist in the owner's. I looked in the owner's manual. There's no layout for the fuse box in the car. Like you can't figure out what fuse is what. So I like I spent the whole day trying to figure these things out. Right. It took five times as long as I would think it would. And and I feel like that's any job that I engage in with a car or the house. It always is more difficult than I think it's going to be. Uh, this is really simple. It's it's not. And we're freed from that. Right. We're freed from those frustrations of work. There are beautiful aspects of work that will continue. Can't take all the time to go into all those details, but we're freed from the toil of work. That's one way. So we see that in verse 10, this picture of resting, whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
And then we would see that there is this rest from war. What do I mean by that? War as described uh, as war, we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You may have heard uh, this phrase. It's, this, this comes from biblical categories. Uh, we're at war with the world, all of the brokenness that we uh, experience. There is a sense in which as we look back to the Israelites in Kadesh Barnea, and they're waiting to get into the promised land, one of the things was that they were promised rest from enemies. They were going to have this peace in the land. And some sense in which that was experienced to a small degree with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, we see that there is this promise and experience of rest from their enemies when they are in the promised land. That's what they were looking to and hoping for, rest from actual war. And we long for that as we look around the world now and we see war happening and the threat of war actually coming closer to home with the way that the global powers are operating now. It's, it's like, what is going to happen? We don't, we don't know in, in ways that we thought you know, five years ago, we were completely safe from. But there is a promise of rest from that. And from all of the injustice and brokenness that exists, the, the sin of other people and the systems that we create impacting us in really negative ways, we're, we're going to be freed from that. We're going to have rest from that. That is the good news that was offered in verse 2. The good news came to us just as to them, those Israelites waiting to get into the promised land. There is that promise, rest from that mess. There is a rest from, essentially, from ourselves, from the world, the flesh, us. A temptation that we might have to not believe, to not look to God, to not trust in him. That's the the basis of of sin and brokenness and rebellion that comes through the fall. And, And there is this picture that... There's this warning that comes, we'll get to in a moment more in detail, this warning of not finding ourselves in the place they did of unbelief. Because we see this reality that there is something within us that will be revealed. No creature is hidden from his sight, verse 13, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. There, there is this promise of having our own brokenness, our own mess that we experience, Right? The, the, the fact that our, our thoughts are sometimes jumbled, that we disagree with ourselves or we, we change our minds or we think, oh, I didn't see that right. Or the fact that we experience uh, temptations uh, that we know that, you know, Paul in Romans chapter seven saying, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. We all know this. We all experience this. And this is this is actually true. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we we have these we set standards for ourselves and, and I hope that they're the standards of, of God revealed in his word. But whatever standards that we set, we, we, we find that we don't live up to them. We never do. This is the struggle that we have that we will one day be freed from. That, that's hard to imagine. But that's the promise that's on hand. And, and, and the, the question comes, where, where do we now seek rest to deal with those things? Again, is it like we turn to Netflix or we turn to alcohol or we turn to to sleep or we we think that more money is going to be the answer? We dive into work. There are all kinds of ways in which we try to rest from the brokenness around us or get a break from it. And and sometimes it's engaging in things that aren't restful, but it's a distraction from other things. Right. But we seek to find it in other places. That's part of our flesh that we will ultimately be freed from. The, the last is, uh, that we're at war with is the devil. We see this 
uh, a little bit alluded to, uh, not the devil specifically, but uh, this idea of believing, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. Again, we'll get here more in a moment, but there is the call to believe and not to fall into unbelief, which is disobedience. We remember from verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. We are called to believe that the devil is described in John 8, 44, as the father of lies. This idea of believing is don't believe the lies. This is the foundation of the fall, that we would believe the devil when he says, did God really say that? Is that really what he said? No, no. You should believe this other thing. Whatever the culture is telling us, whatever the sinful heart is telling us from within, there's a warning here. And yet the promise is that rest is freedom from that. It's freedom from the lies that are told. Imagining living in a world, the new heavens and the new earth, where we're not faced with lies constantly trying to figure out what to believe and what not to believe. That's the promise on hand here. The last rest is from wandering. I think about uh, most of the times that we've moved, and we've moved many times, uh, I'm reminded of the fact that one of the first consequences of the fall was that they had to move out of the garden, right? And uh, I hate moving. Moving is, uh, I, I mean, come on, you've ex- if you've really experienced a move, it, it, it resonates because it's, it's painful. Uh, the, just the idea of getting your stuff from one place to another is not an easy task, right? Um, and, and wandering, this idea of, of wandering into different places, I, I think there's certainly some beauty to being able to uh, experience different cultures in different places, but there's also a, a, a sense in which we were created for home. We were created for, to, be, to be settled. We were created to experience a place. And, and I say that as somebody who has not lived where I grew up for many years now, uh, and there are good things there. Um, but there's, there's also, at the same time, there's, there's something at times that is, is missing in that. And, and that's part of the world in which we live. And what we find is that we'll find rest from wandering. We'll be settled with a home, with the beauty of that. The, the picture here is something so good that we can't even fully imagine what's happening. And uh, again, I just have really enjoyed our, our Sunday school class, which is just talking about heaven. That's the topic uh, over this semester. And it's been really beautiful to uh, think in much more detail about what that rest will look like. Um, you can jump in in the middle and you will enjoy it uh, and you will benefit from it. But what we have here is the writer of Hebrews saying there is something beautiful and amazing for you. And I want you to experience it so that we, we hear in verse one, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And there come more warnings. And we don't like that idea of, of fear but what we have here is, is this writer saying, it's so great, I don't want you to miss it. There is this amazing thing that is on offer. Please, please don't miss what is on offer from the Lord. And this is the way, this is right and good for him to want this, that he would fear that those that he loves wouldn't experience the promises of God. I mean, just imagine that, uh, just small illustration here, very small in comparison, but imagine that there was a study, I'm just making something up out of thin air, but uh, imagine there's, a, there's a, somebody doing an ec- economic study and they decide we're gonna give this street, let's say it's Fletcher Avenue, from Shelby to State, sorry, Kobe's and DeKynes, you're out, um, 
Shelby to State, and we're going to cover all your utilities. Um, we're, we're, we're studying something here. We're going to pay for all your utilities, including your internet. Uh, and if, if I learned this, I would, I would say, I'm in, and I want to make sure that my neighbors know about it. Hey, guys, did you hear about this, this thing that is on offer? And imagine at that point if uh, Adrian, who lives on the street with us, says, uh, yeah, but, man, our AT&T internet is great. So I, I think we're pretty good. We, our electricity has been awesome, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Right? And I'm like, no, 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 you, you, this offer, I don't want you to miss it. Like, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to miss it. Of course I would tell my neighbors I would want them to have this experience. Tiny, tiny picture of what is happening here. The writer of Hebrews is saying, there's this amazing thing on offer. I don't want you to miss it. This is available to you. It is available to me. It is, that's the second point, that it is available. It is, this promise still stands. So we've moved past that promised land picture. Yes, that was a promise of rest, but there was, there was something greater to come so that even as they were in the promised land, Psalm 95 came and said, there's still a promise of rest. And then here, verse one, while the promise of entering this rest still stands, it is available to you and to me. Joshua led them into the promised land, verse eight, and yet there's still something yet to come. If he had given them rest, real rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. He has spoken of another day later on that we're invited to strive for, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, that unbelief. It is still on offer to you and me, and it's that picture of Jesus returning and making all things right. Perfect shalom and peace, creation just as it should be, his rest that we're invited into. How do we get it? If it's available to us, how do we get it? How is it available? Verse two, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe. They didn't trust God. The way that we receive it is belief and trust. It is faith. It is looking to Jesus. It is looking to the good news that is on offer, the gospel. Verse six again mentions good news, just as verse two does. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. There's the promise still of good news, the gospel for us, if we believe, if we trust. And and we remember, we might be in the same spot that the Hebrews are in, a crisis of faith. Things are difficult. They're doubting. They're they're really considering turning away, looking for rest in other places. They're going to turn specifically back to Judaism. And we might not be tempted to do that, but we're, we're tempted often to find rest in other places. And, and to be clear, their life was difficult. They were facing persecution, we learn later, not yet to the point of death. That leaves a lot of difficult situations open to them that they were experiencing. Reasons that they were having this crisis of faith. Reasons that they were having doubt. And yet they're called to believe, to trust. And ultimately, our trust is in the one who offers this rest in Jesus. Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Jesus is the Greek for Joshua, which means God is salvation. And the difference for Jesus is that he is God himself and that he stands for us. 
that he offers the rest because of what he has done for us. You think about God creating the world and, and saying it's good, it's done, and him having rest. Well, Jesus does this act of salvation for us, and he is on the cross, and he says in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. His work of salvation is finished, and we are invited in. He invites us into his rest because of what he has accomplished, and we just believe. Belief matters deeply. There's, there is absolutely conversation we should be having, as the Bible does, about the impact of doing. What, how does it affect what we do? But our doing is rooted in what we believe. What we believe about who Jesus is and what he's done. About the rest that he offers. That's part of the, the implication of this rest on offer. That it, it would be something that we would fear missing. That it would be something, this is the last point, the implications of that rest. That we would fear it, missing it. That we would strive to believe, to trust. And, and, and we get mixed up in our heads sometimes about what it means to strive, thinking sometimes it means us earning God's favor, earning his rest. No, it's, it's simply we find again and again believing, trusting, relying upon him. But we do strive for that. We move toward trust and faith in him, resting in him and in his promises so that we would have that, using rest in a little bit of a different way, so that we would have that ultimate promise of rest. And there is a, a very practical way then. It, it feels like a jump. The first few times uh, I've, I've read this chapter, it feels like a shift when we get to verse 12. A, 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 a verse that many of us have memorized if we've grown up in the church or been around the church for a while. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He goes from don't miss the rest that's on offer to here's the word and the word is powerful. It's living and active and it divides your heart. It, under, it, it helps you actually understand the intentions of your heart. Our, our thinking that is so often messed up and broken. It gets at what's actually going on there. The word is living and that it has the ability to impact me and you. And so we, we talk about, you know, we could make an application of almost any sermon, read the Bible. And, and yet there's something beautiful and true to that. That's why our, our, our services are centered around the word of God. The, the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, they're about what the word of God has for us because it is living and powerful for us. It is what helps us understand ourselves. We don't just find ourselves by going out and, you know, going on a uh, walkabout, or for us, just like some big, long trip, I'm going to find myself. We're, we're not in those situations. We're, we're going to be, just be shaped by the things around us. The word of God, from the God who created us, who knows us intimately, gives us this word to reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, that splits this double-edged sword, this two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and it's, it's, it's getting to the root of who we are, revealing the truth so that we might understand ourselves and that we might move toward belief in who he is and what he's done. Finding hope that he offers, the rest that he offers, so that we look forward to what is to come, that ultimate rest, and we experience a shadow of it now. Matthew 11, verse 27 
I'm sorry, I'll say 28. We'll start with 28. Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a sense, there's an implication now that we experience some level of that rest now, not yet fully realized, but it is a picture of what is to come. And it is because of what he has done. He stands on the cross and says, it is finished. And so we look to him in hope for the rest that he offers. Let's pray.